Welcome to the Treble Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and founder of Treble Health. This podcast is supported by treblehealth.com, the nation's leading telehealth service for tinnitus and hearing loss treatment. Thank you for being here on our podcast and make sure to subscribe to get our newest episodes sent straight to you. Let's get ahead with today's episode. Dr. Tracy, thank you for joining today. As we're going to get into the four pillars of how we can find relief for tinnitus, let's start with number one. What is that? The first pillar in the four S's concept around tinnitus is, stands for sound. And so that includes not only the tinnitus sound, so what it sounds like to a patient, sort of the characteristics of it, but also sound sensitivity. Um, as we know, that's pretty common as well, in addition to tinnitus and sound therapy. And so the combination of all three of those things is pretty foundational to the rest of tinnitus treatment or how I approach working with a patient with tinnitus. Is it true that a lot of patients come to you in an overwhelmed state? Yes, I would say the majority of patients that come through um, that I've worked with over the years are typically in, in a more acute phase with their tinnitus where it's just very overwhelming. They've, they've you know seen their doctors, they've been told there's nothing they can do. Um, they're feeling really lost. They've searched online. They're overwhelmed by the amount of information, a lot of it being misinformation um, and, and looking for concrete answers, concrete support, concrete validation that what they're going through is a real thing and real solutions to their experience. And if I'm going to lean on sound, because it's so true that the sound piece of it is a pillar, it's a common misconception that I have to tough this out and just live in silence and get over it and try to have my willpower, just make my mind get over this tinnitus. That's probably a rookie mistake, right? I'm sure that has come across your schedule, your appointments, because that's certainly something I've seen a lot. Talk to us more about how the sound therapy is something that people can lean on. It truly is a pillar. Yeah. I think one thing that comes up a lot is that this term sound therapy is thrown all over the place. And I think there's a big difference between just throw some sound on in the background and you know, expect that that's going to solve all of the issues that patients are going through versus an actual dedicated sound therapy program or protocol. Those are two very different things. And so what our approach is, what my approach has been for years is to really fine tune, for, for lack of a better word, a patient's sound therapy program. And that involves, you know, finding one to three different types of sound therapy sounds that are going to work for that patient. There's certain parameters and guidelines to follow around how you actually implement it. And, you know, once you have those guidelines in place, patients understand, okay, here's what it, here's what I'm going to use. Here's, here's what I'm going to use to actually physically play the sound, what type of equipment and transducer is going to be best for that patient. Sometimes it's multiple things, right? You're using ear level devices, you're using sound machines, you're using sound pillows or sleep headbands for nighttime. It's about putting together a comprehensive plan for sound therapy to maximize initially relief, right? The first step is to give patients relief in that overwhelmed state so that they can start to like calm their systems down overall, and then be able to layer on other techniques that are going to really help them with that habituation process. That's excellent. And this, the other part of the sound piece is the sound sensitivity you had mentioned. Sounds like water running, dishes clanking, voices, driving in a car. With tinnitus, a percentage of people, significant percentage, notice that they have a hypersensitivity to these kinds of everyday sounds. What are your, your key takeaways, your, your main counseling points on the sound sensitivity? for these patients? Yes. For patients who have both, 
sound sensitivity and tinnitus, my approach is typically to address the hypersensitivity to sound or hyperacusis first. You really want to get that auditory system desensitized, you know, increase the tolerance to either sound overall sound in general, or if it's more specific sounds that are bothersome, you have to sort of get that piece in place and target that area first in order to then move on to the tinnitus habituation piece of it. So there's sort of a two step approach and the timing of it and being strategic about implementing a sound therapy protocol, slightly different for sound sensitivity versus someone who only has tinnitus as their primary issue. So you sort of approach it differently. Although I think in the context of both, you know, nowadays compared to when I first started working with tinnitus patients, you know, where it was only white noise, that was the only option available. Now there's so many different options. So patients have so much flexibility and opportunity to really create sounds that are going to work best for them. Tinnitus patients, if I've learned anything over the years, is that they they don't fit in these neat little categories. And so as a provider and as a patient, you have to be really flexible. There's a bit of trial and error in really finding the right type of sounds and the right type of schedule or sort of guidelines around what's going to work for each patient. And you have to be able to sort of flex with that as as people progress through the stages of habituation. For patients who have both sound sensitivity and tinnitus, approaching the sound sensitivity aspect of it is the primary focus to start out. Excellent. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's what we're all about here. And if you're listening, make sure to leave a comment here if this is helpful, because we're here providing this information. We want actionable steps that you can take. So with sound therapy, this would be take out your smartphone, find a tinnitus app that has sound therapy, put it on in the background, leave it on for a few hours. Notice if that changes your ability to focus your your attention on your everyday tasks. If it does, that's a good sign. Keep learning about what else you can use for sound therapy. If you have sound sensitivity, hyperacusis, consider using earplugs strategically, not always, and also play around with sound therapy as it has a beneficial effect. Let's move into the second pillar. Dr. Tracy, what is that? The second pillar is stress, the big one. So we know that stress is a major factor in tinnitus and sound sensitivity, but how bothersome, how intrusive, how you know annoying it can be for patients. You know, stress, whether we're cognizant of, of stress, if it's sort of an obvious external stress that's going on, or whether we're not really aware of it and but it's still having an effect on both our emotional state and potentially even physiological manifestations of stress. Um, or anxiety can play a big role in how um, tinnitus is impacting our day-to-day function, our day-to-day activities. This is an interruption from today's podcast episode to announce the winner of the weekly Sunday Treble Health Giveaway. Every week, we give away some of the most helpful tools to help you manage tinnitus, and all you have to do to qualify to be a winner is to subscribe to our YouTube channel, number one, and number two, go to treble.health slash giveaway. Again, that's treble.health slash giveaway, and put in your email address to join our email list, and with those two pieces of information, you'll be qualified to enter. This week's giveaway winner will receive a Sound Oasis BST100 sound machine. This device has almost 20 unique sounds that can be played for tinnitus, and it even has a computer chip that holds the sounds inside of the device. It does not rely on Bluetooth. This can help with your work from home station, your office, helping falling asleep at night. It has crickets, white noise, pink noise. Overall, it's a great product for sound therapy. So make sure you follow the link 
treble.health slash giveaway. It will be posted in the description of this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can qualify to win free tinnitus tools and sound therapy equipment. The results will be announced every Sunday during our weekly podcast episodes. This week's winner is Jennifer L. Congratulations, Jennifer. I hope you enjoy. And let's get back to the Tinnitus Relief Podcast. Sometimes I ask, well, what comes first, the tinnitus or the stress, right? Is my stress because I'm living with this loud sound in my head and I'm anxious about it? Is that why I'm stressed? Was that additional stress on top of a baseline level of stress? How much stress is normal? This is another umbrella term that the the semantics and the language about it do really matter, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think that you know, the framework around managing like stress reduction in general, working with tinnitus patients and a lot of the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques that, that we utilize as um, tinnitus providers. The whole goal with that is to help, you know, emotionally, physically, the different areas that are causing stress, identifying those and really helping patients learn different strategies and techniques that will help to sort of regulate their systems. And that can look different for each person and what tools and techniques work for each patient vary depending on the patient and their situations. And I think, again, just like with sound therapy, it's not just throwing a random sound on in the background, really sort of dialing in to what what works for each patient. And sometimes you, you know, you're testing different techniques out. Sometimes it's more mindfulness-based, right? Sometimes it's more cognitive behavioral therapy-based. Sometimes it's a combination of the two and working together with your patients to sort of say, okay, this is the approach that we're going to try and always, always, always benchmarking whether it's working or not, right? And and adapting if it's not. And so when you pair the two together, sound therapy and stress reduction techniques in a strategic sort of timely phases, right? You roll these out in phases. You don't throw everything at a patient all at once. That would be absolutely overwhelming. The last thing we want to do is cause more stress to a tinnitus patient. So you have to do this in sort of an uh, in an order. Um, that's what I found to be most helpful. Once they're getting that relief from the sound therapy and they have the capacity and they have a cognitive sort of ability. Cognitive, to, cognitive load, cognitive ability. Yeah. 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 When they're, when they're feeling a little bit more relaxed and less stressed because they're getting relief from the sound, it's not just, you know, overwhelming them then you can layer on some of these other techniques because you have the bandwidth, you have the mental bandwidth to be able to then really like glean the benefits from some of these other techniques and strategies that we use all the time with our patients to really maximize the benefit and like drive that habituation process for a patient. Yeah. And after hundreds and hundreds of appointments and patients, this is probably over a thousand. This is the, the wisdom that you're sharing today. Um, when I think of stress and tinnitus, it's, it was said quite well by Jennifer Gans, who was on a, another podcast episode here on our YouTube channel, where she said, well, in my opinion, it's not about whether a tinnitus patient has stress, it's about how much stress do they have. And I think that we can all reflect on that. Having a baseline level of stress, and then this symptom comes into our existence where one or two doctors may have not even given me a solution or a proper diagnosis as to what's really going on, that amps up the uncertainty, the worry, which brings up the stress and getting off of that negative loop, getting off of that feedback loop. That is the primary goal that you spoke of initially of getting out of that overwhelmed state and into a place of, I have a plan. Here's what I can do. 
and an incremental path for how to do it. The stress management piece is huge. And it surprised me over time how there's so many success stories that come with a primary piece of it being, I reduced my stress. I learned meditation. I learned mindfulness. I didn't work so hard and took 20% of time just for me. I did self-care. And that was a big turning point in my tinnitus. So it's not only the sound therapy that helps our patients, it's also the stress reduction. And that's been so clear over time, probably something that's overlooked by other doctors. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, at a certain point in the habituation process, you know, once sound therapy is in place, it's being implemented consistently, it's doing its thing. The cognitive behavioral techniques, the mindfulness techniques, the things that are really addressing the emotional component, which we know is so huge for a lot of our patients, that is, that becomes the primary focus of, of treatment, at least for my approach. I think that that, that is what really drives patients to, you know, reach that their goal of habituation, you know, however they've defined that for themselves, that piece of it is, is crucial. And I think that's what's missing a lot in, in some of the, the typical appointments, the typical. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. Because sound therapy is so common now it's available in all devices and this concept around it, you know, like I said, the term is thrown around quite loosely. And so anybody can add a sound therapy program into a device but that's like step one. Of it, reminds, it reminds me of, let's say, uh, let's say I don't really exercise, but <laughs> I maybe go on a walk every now and then. And someone says, Oh, do you, do you work out? And I say, yeah, I work out. So, right. Right. Well, yeah, I could have a systematic, more evidence-based scientific approach to I'm trying to increase weight, decrease weight. What are my right. goals with this? And that's, even though I'm working out, it's a much different, there's, there's a a spectrum here. So similar with sound therapy, also the same with stress reduction. If you're listening here on YouTube, let us know in the comments, if reducing stress has helped you manage tinnitus, we do want to know, we are looking through those comments. We have two more pillars courtesy of Dr. Tracy, would you care to share number three? Yeah. I mean, in addition to the primary ones, the sound and the stress piece of it, I think the third is sleep. Um, and so not all tinnitus, not all patients that I work with have difficulty with sleeping, but for sure, the ones who do have issues with sleep that compounds everything else. Right. And we know this, this is a basic sort of life <laughs> health thing. If we're not getting solid quality sleep, then we are certainly more you know, easily frustrated or easily irritated the following day. It makes us uh, much more anxious. We know that lack of sleep is tied to an increase in anxiety, which we know is tied to um, tinnitus being much more distressing and intrusive. And so sleep, if that is a dif- if that is a difficult area or challenging area for a patient that I'm working with, it becomes a primary focus of their of their therapy plan as well. Not only you know difficulty falling asleep, you sort of break it down again into these more sort of incremental, detailed pieces to be able to sort of navigate through you know how exactly is sleep affecting you and your tinnitus, right? Is it the falling asleep part that's difficult? Is it you're waking up multiple times in the night? Is it first thing in the morning when you first get up and you're, and you want to go back to sleep and you're not able to. So really sort of drilling down and being able to get the details on that helps you then to to sort of come up with, okay, well, here are the strategies. Here's what we can do to address it. And we know that that's, that is a significant area. If it is an issue that needs to be addressed pretty early on, because again, sleep keeps a a person in a dysregulated state emotionally and physically. And so if you don't address that kind of pretty, pretty early in the treatment phase, 
then all of the other techniques and skills, you're not going to be able to really maximize the benefit from those because you don't have the bandwidth, right? We're all about kind of giving patients tools and techniques, but they're only useful if you actually have the capacity to use them regularly and consistently and appropriately. And spot on. And for those who have been told there's nothing to do for tinnitus, we've now touched on three main pillars where not only only is there something you can do for tinnitus related to sound, stress, and sleep, but actually we know as professionals, because we study this so in such detail, we can break it out, break it down into 10 or 15 micro categories within sleep and within stress and within sound, where suddenly there's a whole toolkit of what we can do for tinnitus. And that's our message that we want to share and um, share loud and proud. So number four, the fourth pillar, you had mentioned it to me earlier, and it's something that not everyone has, but for those who have it, it's a really big deal. Right. So the fourth one is somatosensory or somatic tinnitus. And it's something that, you know, a lot of patients that you will, you know, have an initial consult with, they'll be like, I, you know, they don't even know what the term is yet because they've been to see ENTs, they've been to see primary care, they've been, and that doesn't even come up in a, in a case history for a tinnitus patient a lot of the times. Um, and so when you start to, you know, talk with patients and they're like, well, I also notice when, you know, I clench my teeth or when I, you know, I have TMJ or I have a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders. I notice that my tinnitus, you know, changes in some, in some perceptible way for them, you know, that piece right there, it's like, okay, well then that's another area that we're definitely going to want to add to your, to your therapy plan. Like how do we address that component of it? Because we also know that if that piece isn't addressed, like you can do stuff, we can obviously look at all of the other areas too, all of the other pillars and, and start to implement some strategies and techniques, techniques around those. But the somatic piece is something that, that can actually be oftentimes have sort of a more direct cause and effect on the tinnitus. If it's, if we can identify sort of the more root cause of that, not that it completely makes tinnitus go away, but it tends to help with the reduction in some component of the tinnitus for most patients who have a somatic piece to their tinnitus, right? A somatic arm to it. Yeah. And we, and we have learned through experience, through studying research, targeted tinnitus treatments are more effective. Larger percentage of people get relief, get better when the treatment is targeted to the cause or multiple causes. I was just reviewing, which I'll share right now, different causes of somatic tinnitus, orthodontic treatment, head and neck inflammation, dental surgery, injuries, accidents, medical injections, uh, posture. These are things that we don't usually relate to the ear. So whether it's someone's jaw pain, head or neck concern, an injury, another somatic related condition that we help people make that first step of trying to understand what could be going on. And then there might be other medical tests to help us get more more granular in diagnosing it. But it's one of the things that I think we're most proud of doing is to say, there is no one type of tinnitus that works for all people. There's no one type of tinnitus that is a blanket statement, but it's actually different subcategories that we treat independently. Right. And I think one thing that's important to, I usually talk, this comes up a lot in sessions is that, you know, you may, patients may say, you know, I have TMJ or I have a lot of like tightness in my jaw. I clench my teeth or I grind my teeth. And then the connection between like this area and then this area, and it's all connected. So if you're, if there's tension here, there's likely tension here, there's likely tension in your upper back and really sort of being intentional about addressing all of those things as part of 
honestly, stress reduction too, right? The physiological manifestation of stress tends to be for a lot of people in the neck and shoulders. And that translates to a lot of tension in this area too. So addressing things, again, it's just, it's about sort of looking at things from a really comprehensive approach, holistic approach, and and putting together that comprehensive plan. And I think the four S's of tinnitus, it helps to put a framework around it when you first start working with a patient. And a lot of these things, like they haven't, they're like, oh my gosh, I never, no one's ever talked to me about that. Like, I didn't even realize that was a thing. Like that's related to my tinnitus, what? So, and when you start to put that together, it helps people make sense of what's going on. It helps to give them some rational reasons underlying, you know, why they're experiencing what they're experiencing, which helps to demystify everything and make it less scary. Maybe that's the fifth S and make it more, you know, knowledge is power, right? It's like, okay, I have a much better understanding of what's going on. I don't feel as scared or overwhelmed by this. Like I now think I can, you know, tackle X, Y, or Z as part of the the program of, you know, us working with patients. So yeah. Yeah. And I had a patient once described to me of, Hey, this process that I was going through, it was really tough. It's really challenging me, but to know that there's a path to follow, to know that there's a mm-hmm. protocol that if, as long as I do those things, I know that I have confidence in my plan. That was huge for him. And he said that was one of his you know, guiding forces through a difficult period. So that's what we strive for. And as we're coming to a, coming to a close here, let's just bring everyone on the same page of saying, there is something you can do for tinnitus. Take these four pillars, study them, go into depth on them, find out which ones relate to you and reach out for help from a professional like our team if needed. Dr. Tracy, thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom. And we'll have you back for another episode very soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ben Thompson. If you have two minutes, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast platform for the Treble Health podcast. Thank you for your time. And if you need any services for tinnitus or hearing aids, please head over to treblehealth.com and our team of expert audiologists will be able to help you via telehealth. Have a great one and see you soon.